This is episode 101 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're finishing up Women's Camp 2013, Theography, An Epic of Extravagant Love. This is a breakout session from Jolie Charles titled, Can I Get a Witness? Well, hi. I mean, 1.30, Saturday afternoon, the sun is out, the lake is there. You are very good for being here. Good job. Um, it is good to be here. I told people yesterday that uh, this was my 25th year. I lied. It was 24. We actually looked. I looked last night. Uh, but anyway, this is a picture of my oldest son and my three beautiful little grandkids. I actually have six. Uh, but my son, uh, Bart, and his uh, wife had terrible fertility issues and uh, they tried for 10 years every way possible to have children. Uh, naturopaths, acupuncture, um, the medical route, everything. And finally, at about 10 years, uh, they went the in vitro route. And uh, these three uh, are actually, medically speaking, triplets. Because they were all conceived the same day, same moment, but... The one on the left, Benjamin, and the one on the right, Bryant, spent a little time chilling in the freezer while older brother Barton came out. But they are like right now, they have three kids. The oldest is three and the youngest is two. And so it's just chaos at their house. But um, in vitro, you, you hear a lot of people talk about in vitro like it's no big deal. Oh my goodness, it is, it is huge, uh, so hard on a woman's body. Uh, and even my, my, my son gave my daughter-in-law shots, which just amazed me that he did that. Uh, it, so it wasn't easy, but it's miraculous. And they live in Canby, and so every week I go up. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. I live in Corvallis. And so driving up is always no problem because I'm, it's usually in the morning, I can't wait to see them. But then after wrestling them around for a few hours, driving home, it's tiring. So I, I started a tradition uh, of getting a vanilla ice cream cone to, to lick. So as I'm driving home, lick, lick, lick. And I was telling the Lord, you, you're so miraculous. I just, those boys are doing so well. The twins actually were born a month premature by their six-month um, checkup. They were in the 90th percentiles for growth. I mean, they're just, those boys are wonderful. And so I was just, oh, you are so good, Lord. Lick, lick, lick. And on the radio came this uh, story. It's actually on a CD that I have of the, I think it's like, 2003 Southern Gospel Quartet Convention. And so uh, this man is introducing a song, but he introduces this woman to tell the story. And I won't go into like all the details because I can't remember a lot. They didn't really tell a lot. But when she was pregnant, uh, her first child, she started having problems with the pregnancy. And so they ran a bunch of tests. And she went to the doctor and he said, you know, I, I am so sorry, but something terribly wrong is with, with the baby. He said, there is no chance that this baby will be born alive. And whatever was going on could affect her health as well. He said, I really advise you to abort this pregnancy. I'm very sorry. 
She, of course, walked to the car heartbroken, you can imagine. She got in the car, turned on the radio, or turned on the car, and of course the radio, if, you know, like most of us have it blaring. And this song started to play. And the name of this song is God's Got a Miracle for You. And she sat there and she listened to this song, and she knew it was from God. You know, you know when it's from God. She listened to the whole song, shut the car off, walked back into the doctor and said, God said, no, I'm, I'm going to carry this baby. So at the point of this song, now remember, I'm licking my ice cream cone, driving down the road, listening to this story. You can hear this murmur in this convention, kind of, you know, and you're kind of going, oh, what's, what's going on? And then they tell you, he, say, he said, okay, ma'am, he said, what, what is that up on the big giant screen? He, she said, that's a picture of my adult son training to be a Navy SEAL. Woo! And the crowd went wild. It was great. And I was going, oh, Lord, lick, lick, lick. You are amazing. You are, you are still performing miracles. How can people say, we don't live in the signs and miracle age? Have they looked around? You are performing miracles, and you are so good. Lick, lick, lick. And this quiet voice in my head, no one else can hear it, don't panic here, said, you're a miracle. And I went, ha, ha, yeah. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. I did not come to know the Lord till I was 29 years old. And I will tell you, I was a train wreck. I was going straight to hell. And God took me and has made a new creation. <laughs> and here I am, 31 years later, speaking at a women's conference. If you, if, if you knew my old friends, and they said, hey, I saw Jolie at this Christian conference speaking, they go, ha, 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 yeah, right. That happens. Sometimes I see old friends, and they go, well, what are you doing? I go, well, yeah, I'm a Christian speaker. And they go, yeah, right, yeah. I go, no, I'm really serious. Like, oh, okay, yeah, nice seeing you, Jolie, and they usually leave. But it is a miracle. But see, this is it. Each one of you are also miracles. We take this salvation for so, so granted. It's like, oh, yeah, no, you know, well, I came to know the Lord. Yeah, yeah. It's a miracle. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is, is kind of reclaiming the fact that each and every one of us is a miracle if we're sitting here today, if you've come to know the Lord. And if you haven't, yeah, you're going too soon. Oh, I went too fast. So we're going to talk about giving your testimony. And so what I wanted to do is look in the Bible and, and kind of see what does the Bible say about giving your testimony. Well, in the Old Testament, I did some research. Now, I don't have a research committee or anything. It's just me and my little Bibles. I could not find one example of like testimony like we give our testimony. But what you find, and in fact, uh, Pam stole my thunder last night by telling this story, is they built altars. And this is Genesis 12:7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am going to give this land to your offspring. And Abram built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. 
Last night, Pam talked about Joshua when they, when they, when they went across. Uh, God told the 12 tribes, take a rock, build an altar so you remember what I did. Isn't that giving your testimony? Isn't that why we do that? So people, future generations will remember. In the New Testament, um, I chose this one for my favorite. Uh, there's several in the New Testament giving your testimony. Uh, and if you are uh, 1 Peter 3.15, just the second half. First half is just about worship, and I just didn't want to include it. And if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. So it is biblical. So because this is a workshop, and I think workshops need to be like a one, two, three, check, check, check kind of thing, I mean. So I've divided giving your testimony up into three sections. How you lived while you were in, excuse me, how you lived while in the darkness. Number two, how you saw the light and how you're walking in the light. So we're going to start with number one, how you lived while you were still in the dark. Now, there is a very fine line here about details of who you were before you came to know the Lord. Now, some of you probably came to know the Lord when you were five or six. You're not going to have much to tell, really. Uh, but for a lot of us who came to know the Lord as adults, if we give too few details, then people can't really relate. But if you give too many details, they walk away from hearing your testimony thinking about all those things that happened to you before you came to know the Lord, instead of the glory of the salvation. So you don't want to give too many. It's okay to show some emotion. It's okay to, you know, have a, have a tear, kind of get a choked voice. Uh, my church family will tell you, I rarely speak without kind of getting choked up about something. But it, there's, there's a fine line. You don't want to look like this. <laughs> Nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants to hear you sob through your testimony. It's not a counseling session. <laughs> Amen. Hell yeah. Amen. Um, one of the things that I like to tell people is to kind of think about the details of your life before you came to know the Lord. And if there are some details that you can't talk about without becoming this woman, don't tell them. I have this unique privilege, and oh, I love it, to get to speak uh, at retreats, at luncheons. I mean, I'll tell you, it, it, you do anything at your church, if you ask me, I will be there to speak. I love, this is my passion, this is my calling. And so I have probably given my testimony maybe 15 times. Because at a retreat, quite often, they, they want you to kind of give your testimony on Friday night. That's kind of, a, kind of something that seems like they like you to do. There are details from my past that I've never told anybody. God and me, we know. Not everyone, you don't need to tell every detail. You want to be authentic, but you've got to find balance. So to kind of help this process... I'm going to kind of tell you my testimony, kind of. Uh, I like to include pictures, which, of course, you can't see very well, can you? But uh, 
it, it showed up really good at my house, but uh, this is a picture of my dad and mom, and my older sister is four years older than me, and then I'm the baby sitting in my dad's lap. We were just an all-American great family. Uh, I actually had a little brother when my uh, sister was 16 and I was 12. My parents had a little um, an, another baby. Uh, his name was Lincoln. <laughs> and it was so shocking, we never had another family picture. Uh, but we really don't. But that's a long time down the road. But we just had a great uh, family. But there was one thing missing. My parents were not godly people. They did not talk about the Lord. They did not talk about God. In fact, they were very prejudiced against Christians. These are some of the statements that I heard over and over and over, not just from my parents, but from the adults that came to visit with my parents. Never do business with Christians. Christians are hypocrites. They use Jesus as a crutch, and they totally indoctrinated me in those feelings. Because when you're little, you believe everything your parents say. And also, my parents' friends. And you know, we, we tend to think that, oh, we're playing a game in here, and the kids are over there. Oh, they can't hear what we're talking about. Oh, yes, they can. Unless you say go to bed, then they purposefully ignore you. But yes, they hear you, and they believe everything you say. And so I wonder, what are the kids hearing in your household? What are the statements, maybe about our brothers and sisters in the lesbian and gay community? Maybe of people with a different color skin, darker, lighter, goes both ways. How about if you're staunch Republicans around uh, uh, voting day, election, what did they hear you say about the other party? We can go on and on, but kids listen and they learn. And I don't think my parents meant to teach me this. I really don't. But boy, I learned it very well. So just be a little cautious. I grew up, um, I was not the cutest little girl in school, but I wasn't the ugliest either. Uh, even though I didn't know the Lord, I really got through up to about 13. I was pretty happy. I had a very close relationship with my dad. We always lived on some kind of ranch. We raised uh, registered polled Herefords. I loved animals. I loved being outside. Uh, I spent almost all my time outside with dad, with the animals. It was a great life. And then I went to high school. You know, cheerleaders, football games, basketball games, debate team, drama, theater, proms, homecoming queens. I hated every minute, every minute of high school. As an educator, I can look back and think, duh. I had gone to a little teeny, little teeny school when I first started. We, we had no kindergarten back then. It was back in the olden days. 
So we had first through eighth. When I first started, we had three classrooms. So I think we had like first through third, fourth through sixth, and seventh and eighth. And then by the time I graduated uh, as an eighth grader, I think we might have had about 150 kids, maybe. I mean, in the whole school. And then they bust us in to this giant high school, about 2,000 people, 2,000 kids in this high school. I went from sitting in one of those desks that, you know, you, you sit, it's all one part. Some of you are too young to even know what these desks look like, but some of you do that you'd kind of pull up the little table, put your books, put it down and write on it. I went from that to the bell ringing every 45 minutes, people dashing, people look different, they acted different. I didn't get it at all. One of the stories I always tell about, I mean, I hated high school. If this was actually my testimony, I could tell you several different stories, but it's not. I'm trying to kind of go quickly, but just to kind of tell you what my high school years were like. Some girls asked me to go out for cheerleader right at the first. I mean, a girlfriend and I, Lynette, and Lynette was very, very pretty and much shorter than me. And they had asked us, and we said yes, and then this <laughs> little girl by the name of Debbie, who was about that tall and had blonde hair, and she had a plaid skirt that the cardigan matched the skirt, and there was the color of the cardigan that was on her ribbons and her socks, and I did not know where these girls found these outfits. I mean, it was like, is there a store somewhere that you just go in and buy all this stuff? I was amazed. We did not dress like that at my old school. And so we walked up. She's and we said, yeah, we would. And then she said, but Jolie, you know, I'm sorry, but we've decided you're too tall. Oh, well, let me cut my legs off. I mean, I was this height when I was in eighth grade. Now it's no big deal. I go to high schools and there's all kinds of girls. But in my high school, I was it. All the other girls were, you know, they weren't even close to my height. I, I'm not sure why I was so much taller then but I hated high school. And I didn't know how to fit in. Like these girls, I mean, I remember sitting at the table like on a Monday, and they'd be talking about they went shopping, and I'd say, hey, my cow Rosie had a heifer calf, and they'd kind of look at me like, what? And I'd go, oh, oh, you went shopping. Oh, cool, let's talk about that. I, I didn't get it. And I, I didn't get along with the girls, and I really didn't get the whole boy thing. The flirting, I, I would watch girls do it, and I thought, how do you do that? You know, how do you, get, you know, walk so cute? I mean, I just, I didn't know how to do it. And so, I became like Raj. Now, how many people watch Big Bang Theory? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, this is the best TV show on. As a teacher of 34 years, a retired public school teacher for 34 years, this show is absolutely accurate. I have had Sheldons in my classroom. I have had Leonards in my classroom. I've had Rajas in my classroom. But if you don't watch it, Raj cannot speak to females unless he's had a drink. Like even at work, he can't talk to them. It's a problem. Well, I couldn't talk to boys. 
I didn't know how to flirt. I thought I was too tall. And so I started drinking because give me a couple of drinks and whoo, I became this whole new person. Now Raj, after he's had a few drinks, really becomes obnoxious. So really looking back, I really probably became obnoxious. But see, I thought I was really cool. I, I could talk to the boys. Um, it was not good. Not good. I mean, I literally drank in every social situation I got in. Because my parents were drinkers, and I could steal alcohol from them constantly, I, I had access to alcohol all the time. I was, it was not good. I, I forgot a prop back, so, I, so pretend I'm holding a sunflower. I did some research a while back on sunflowers. And I was, if you've never seen a field of sunflowers, you may not know, but they don't stay in one spot. They move. They actually follow the sun. And, and if you see, like, sometimes I, I've seen them like in yards where there's just like four or five, and you can't really tell. But if you see a whole field of them, you can drive by, and it's like they're all looking at you and, hi, hi, hi. You can drive back you know, two hours later, and they've got their backs turned to you. It is just, it's remarkable. But I was surprised to find out that a sunflower can grow without the sun. It can actually grow. I did not know that. I thought you had to have sun for a sunflower. But two things happen. Number one, the yellow becomes very pale, very pale, not that bright, beautiful sunflower gold. And the stalk, instead of being green and strong, turns kind of grayish green, and it's very weak. Now, if the sunflower never gets any wind, no storms hit it, it will produce fruit. Not a lot, but it will produce some. But the littlest amount of wind will just knock it down. It's so easy to put that with a believer. I had lived, to, at this time, uh, up to about 18, or, or about 13 before I went to high school, and my life was pretty good. I didn't have the Lord, but, but it was still okay. But man, I hit high school. Whew. The storm started coming, and I didn't have the rock. I didn't have our Lord. I had nobody, and I went down for the count. I was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. I didn't get it. Uh, one of the things when you're in your teens, you want to belong. What I learned in high school was I didn't belong. I was weird. I was too tall. I didn't know how to talk to people. And to be really truthful, I thought they were all pretty stupid because they didn't like the stuff I did. <laughs> but it, it, was a, it was a mess. But I went to college, and... I, it, it, one of the things that was really great about college was there was a rodeo team. And all of a sudden, I found people who liked the same things that I did. And so that aspect was good. The bad aspect that happened was the year that my parents, um, my, after my senior year, between my senior year and freshman year in college, they went to Alaska. And I stayed home and took care of the ranch. And uh, my... 4-H steer that I had sold, the check came. 
So I took the check and bought a horse trailer for myself, much to my parents' dismay. And so my horse, my dog, and myself hit the rodeo circuit. Rodeos are about 90% men. And especially back in my day, there were a lot of men, even if they were married, they were there single, and they acted single. And there I was, a woman who did not feel good about herself, who drank in social situations, and I was all by myself. It was like throwing a piece of bacon out to a bunch of dogs. I became promiscuous, and I just, just kept going down further, further, further. Now, I'm stepping away from my testimony now. It's so hard to not get caught in all those details. Because, you see, I'm giving my testimony as an example, and I still get caught up in those details. So you got to watch yourself. Because who cares? Who cares what I did before? I was a sinner. I mean, I did not have the Lord. It, it does not matter what kind of sins I committed. You've got to cut that short. Because I know, I, I start telling the stories. And it was like 40 years ago. And I can remember this stuff like it was yesterday. So, in the middle, how did I see the light? How, how did it all come about? Especially if you have been raised in a Christian home. To me, if you've been raised in a Christian home, it would almost seem like an oddity if you didn't ask the Lord to be your Savior. I mean, really. In our church, we have these, we have like four, five, six-year-olds asking, how can I have Jesus in my heart? I mean, you know. But if you don't, are not raised in that kind of family, it's, it's a foreign thing. So there has to be like some type of crisis, some type of event, something that happens that the non-believer will open their eyes. For me, I met, or oh, whoops, one, one more. This is how my heart looked, except that little red part over there, that was covered too. I had, I had built so many layers of uh, walls around my heart because every time I got hurt, every time men used and abused me, I just built up another wall, another wall. Now, you have to realize by this time, I was 25 years old. I had uh, had many relationships with men that were just um, toxic. I, I can't explain it any other way. I had uh, been engaged to a potato farmer, and uh, we had not sent out the wedding invitations, but we were planning, and he stopped calling. He lived up in Merrill, Oregon. So I drove to, this is, this, I was telling this yesterday, I said, this is so pitiful, I hate to even tell this story, but this is true. I drove out to the potato field. He was on a tractor doing something in the potato field. I think they were maybe harvesting and, and he was driving the tractor and some guy was driving the truck or something. I drove to the potato field and said, what is going on? You know, we're engaged to be married. We're planning our wedding. You haven't called. Well, I, I need a break. 
oh, yay, doesn't that sound like good news? I need a break. I just need 30 days, Julie. I just need 30 days. I go, well, but what's going on? I just need 30 days. Six months later, he had his first baby and was married. Never got that little 30 days later meeting. I heard from friends that he got married. I thought, well, gosh, that's kind of weird. And then heard just a few months later that he had his first baby. No. Okay. That, but that's good. That's good. No, I, it, I, that is the one, yeah, I didn't have to do that. But there I was in the potato field, just heartbroken. Of course, rebounded from that into another farmer whose mother, his own mother, said, Julie, when he gets mad, he's really, really ugly. Oh, no problem. Wow. Nine months later, I was planning how to escape from an abusive marriage. I was 25 years old. My wall, my heart was such a, a cold stone because I had been just used and abused. And it was my own fault. I can't blame anybody else. It was me. Psalm 18:16. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. I didn't do a thing. I didn't do a thing. He, people wonder why I'm always so grateful. I still am amazed that he loved me so much that he just, just, come on out of there. You have mucked around so long. Come on out. And what he did was he put people around me. My husband, I don't know if you can see that picture. He's such a cute guy. He's a little round-faced guy. When I met him, he uh, was a single man raising two little boys, Bart and Brent, my oldest son. Their mom had took, taken off, and uh, he had nothing. He owned nothing. He was, I think, 31 years old, 32, had nothing, had these two little baby boys, <laughs> lived in a, in a house in a mill parking lot. I mean, it was renting. I mean, but I needed something to do on a Friday night, so I went out with him. And uh, I constantly told him, I am not serious. That I'm not getting married. I'm not committing. I didn't meet the boys for a long time. I knew them because they actually went to the school that I, or the oldest, had gone to school where I taught. And one night, when I'm sure I was being obnoxious, telling him how I didn't love him, he said, you know, I never knew how to love people until I came to know the Lord and experienced how much he loved me. And that first crack started in my heart. I would love to tell you that just the next day I came to know the Lord. No, it took me a while. It took me a while. But he also put a couple of other people in my life, Bonnie and Laura. Bonnie was just obnoxious, constantly praised the Lord, praised the Lord. She constantly let me know that I was not a believer. And she was, but I wasn't. I needed her. But I had Laura over here 
who loved me into the kingdom. I would go to her house, and she would just pretend like I was a believer. And she'd say, Jolie, I'm having trouble with this. Would you pray with me? And I'd go, oh, yeah, and we'd hold hands and we'd pray. And sometimes I'd look at her, and I'd think, wow, I want that. Whatever she's got, I want. But see, the Lord knew I needed both. Because, see, I had become really good at putting on a facade. You know, this, oh, I, and I was telling Lester, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I wasn't even close. And I needed Bonnie over here to keep telling me, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I needed Laura over here to say, come on, come on, this is what it looks like. And so on November 7th, 1981, after about eight hours of natural childbirth, while giving birth to this little girl, I remember so clearly just saying, Lord, I need your help. <laughs> and I did. And it was like a floodgate that the walls just, poof, and I've never looked back. Never looked back. She got married last September. I had to figure out a way to put her picture in. Your testimony should be kind of thirds. A third to what your life was like before you came to know the Lord. And then maybe a third as to how did you come to know. Were there people involved? You know, I, I think, doesn't it, I think it helps people to understand we don't all need to minister to people in the same way. I mean, how God might want you to minister to somebody might be totally different than you. And that's okay. He knows what he's doing. He's got it taken care of. But try to get the thirds. Don't just stop. Don't just stop. So, so many people with their testimony, that, you know, detail, and then I came to know the Lord. Woo! And then time's up. Woo! No, I went too fast. I believe why women do not, I, I would say men too, why we don't talk about what God is doing in our life is because sometimes it sounds like boasting. I have a, a, a little story, uh, and it's not, I, I have a couple stories, but I, I want to do the one that has to do with Disneyland because it has nothing to do with church. I was down at Disneyland, took the three oldest grandson, or grandchildren, uh, a 12-year-old Wyatt, seven-year-old Will, and a five-year-old Peanut, uh, Amelia. She's my only granddaughter. She's just a holy terror, and I just love her to death. And I call her Peanut, so that's... Um, so we took him to Disneyland. Amelia just was just a dud. She hated Disneyland. Everything was scary. You know, everything was scary. She didn't even want to go on Small World because she knew that song would get stuck in her head, which I should have... That could have been maybe thankful for that. But... Um, but I love to plan, and so the seven-year-old and I had done a lot of, Will, in 60 wake-ups, where are we going to be? I don't know. We're going to be at Disneyland. Whoa! And then he'd call me up, Grandma, 15 wake-ups, where are we going to be? Disneyland, yay! The 12-year-old, not so much. You know, 12-year-olds, they're kind of cool. 
And like I said, Peanut didn't even really know what Disneyland was. I mean, she was pretty clueless. But we got down there, and I, I got Peanut duty a lot. And, and, and Will spent so much time, whenever Will and Wyatt are together, Wyatt actually has a, a, was from a previous marriage, so he spends about half of his time with his biological dad. Great guy, but very involved dad. And so the, the sibling... Uh, between Will and Wyatt aren't quite the same. You know, normally how they hate each other, you know, siblings do. Oh, Will just thinks the sun rises and sets on Wyatt, his older brother. So whenever you're around the three, that I'm just chopped liver. I mean, he could care less. He all about Wyatt. And so one morning, we were taking care of Peanut so that the uh, parents could take um, the boys down. And uh, I was telling Les, I said, you know... I just wish I could spend some one-on-one -on -one time with Will. You know, we've had so much fun talking about this trip, but, you know, he's, he's so into Wyatt that it's kind of like he's just ignoring me. I, I would love to tell you that I prayed about it, but I didn't. Went to the, that was in the morning. That, after, that evening, we went to the park. We were standing there kind of all trying to decide where to go. Will walks over to me, grabs my hand, and says, Grandma and I are going to go ride soaring over California. And, and I looked at my son and daughter-in-law and said, see you in about an hour. And we left. And as soon as we turned, I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That was from God. It could be a coincidence, but no. It's from God. But you see, if I say that, doesn't it sound kind of boastful? Doesn't it kind of sound like I am saying that God loves me so much that he's interested in every detail of my life? Galatians 3.26. So you are all daughters. I will tell you that in most translations, that's children. I thought daughters were daughters. So you are all daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He does love us so much that he's involved in the everyday details of our lives. we we got to look around. We get so busy. Do you ever feel like a hamster on one of those wheels? You can miss it. I'll tell you. Um, this group over here are the women from my church. We have Bible study together. We're not always there. We have about 25 women that we kind of... You know, some are there in the fall, some are there in the winter, some are there in the summer. But they have my back, and I have theirs. If something's going on, I call them or email them, and they're praying for me like that. You really need to have a group of women to support you. And, and what's cool is if I go to Bible study, maybe God hasn't done anything that I've noticed in the last few days, but there will be somebody in that group that will testify to what he's done. Always. Find something uh, bigger than you. I have, this is amazing. I was, I was just telling Betty earlier, Facebook has become my new ministry. I have, uh, I, I post a lot of stuff about the Lord. And I have some Facebook friends that are like anti-God, anti-God. But they read my posts because they do the little like. Every once in a while, they'll say something. They'll put something really derogatory about 
Christians are stupid or something. I mean, you know, there's all those posts, and I'll write them back and say, hey, you know, I'm reading this. And they'll go, oh, we weren't talking about you, Jolie. Well, yeah. I've also started praying for sick kids. You can, it, you can find those on the Facebook. Um, little Elliot, little, little five-year-old girl in uh, uh, Portland area. She's been in the hospital now, I think, for seven weeks. For a while, we didn't know she was going to make it. But you know what? It, when you're praying for something like that, uh, the other one I'm praying for is a little extremely autistic boy. Uh, Leaf, who is down in Stanford Hospital, had to have a heart transplant. So extremely autistic that he doesn't speak. He can only type in a computer. Imagine what's that li- what that's like. He's been in the hospital for like six months. But get involved with something. God is performing miracles all the time. And you know, the biggest miracle is that he loves us so much that he is interested and involved with us all the time. We just have to slow down and look. John 10.10, 10, the, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they, us, we are us, they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I told you about the sunflower We can live a very dull life, even being Christians. We can go to church on Sunday, take our Bibles, put it on the shelf until next Sunday. We can just kind of go through life looking like that. Or we can have the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. Share what God is doing in your life. There is nothing more inspiring than your story. And if you're one of those people who came to know the Lord when you were four or five years old, don't tell me you don't have a testimony. From somebody like me to here, I remember Lucy Swindoll saying how her parents, when they used to go to bed, they would sing hymns to each other. Wow. I I mean, I... Love to hear how Christian homes work. Everyone has a testimony. Everyone has a story. Jesus is performing miracles. God is glorified not in our perfection, but in how he helps us in our imperfection. I love that because I'm so far from being perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be anything outstanding. You've got the Holy Spirit living in your heart. God loves you so much. He rescued you whenever he did. I want to be like the prophet Isaiah. And when God says, who's going to go? Me, me. I want to go. Give your testimony. Share with people what God is doing in your life. It will inspire you. It will strengthen you. It will get you ready for the storms that are going to come. Because they're going to come. Let's go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to 
ask you, dear Lord, to help us to remember what a miracle our salvation is, dear Lord. And the next time, dear Lord, when one of our pastors or someone says, you know, what's this God thing? Dear Lord, help us have the words. Help us just to talk from our hearts about your love. The Apostle Paul ends a prayer in Ephesians by saying, and may my life glorify the holy God. Dear Lord, help us to be what you have planned for our lives. Help us to share. Help us to love one another. We love you, dear Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen.